Hi, this is Nayetta, and you're listening to The Health Show. To The Health Show. And you're listening 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 to The Health Show. The Health Show is a podcast dedicated to connecting individuals to mental health resources in the community. The Health Show is more than a podcast, it is a movement focused on change. Our objectives are to change the perception and stigma associated with mental health, encourage those with mental health disease to get help, foster access to mental health resources, and remove barriers to mental health resources, including those encountered in undeserved communities. We remain committed to supporting the mental health needs of the community during the COVID-19 pandemic. Though the world has changed dramatically in a short period of time, The Help Show is here to help and navigate through the changes and address your mental health needs. Seek help when needed. If distress impacts your daily life for several days or weeks, talk to a clergy member, counselor or doctor, or contact SAMHSA Helpline at 1-800-985-5990. The crisis worker will work to ensure that you feel safe and help identify options and information about mental health services in your area. Your call is confidential and free. Thank you, everyone, for being here and those are on the call. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We call that the TTT with the Health Show, so I'm beyond grateful. I want to start off with um, this month's podcast is sponsored by Dr. Angela Anderson. She's the number one international best-selling author, Now What? Get Over Yourself and Move, sold on Amazon. So pick up your valuable pointers from the international certified speaker and leadership expert. Dr. Angela covers topics about leadership, motivation, goal setting, personal branding, and team dynamics. You can also check her out on Monday through Sunday, 9 p.m. Central Time, 10 p.m. Eastern Time on Instagram Live at Dr. Angela Speaks. This month, um, we're talking about back to school in 2020. So educators have a major new challenge ahead in the middle of a deadly pandemic. So today we have myself, Nayeta Reynolds. Um, So um, people that know me, I'm a huge advocate of um, mental health. I'm actually an MSW, a master's social worker. I am um, an advocate of mental health, and I love to talk about the discussion, which we're going to talk about today. Um, We also have Dr. Kenneth Rogers, which he is my co-host, and I'm always so excited to introduce him. Hi, Dr. Kenneth Rogers. Hello. Hello. (laughs) <laughs> he is an adult, child, and adolescent psychiatrist. This South Carolina native has a passion for helping individuals and families achieve a sense of peace and happiness. Dr. Rogers received his MD in residency training at the University of South Carolina. Additionally, he holds a degree in public health and management from UCLA and the University of Southern California. Our special, special guest, and she's a friend of mine, so we'll buy us. <laughs> is Dr. Tia Crosley. She is a licensed psychologist, a licensed specialist in school psychology. She also holds the credentials as a health service psychologist with the National Register of Health Service Psychologists. Dr. Crosley has 12 years of professional experience providing psychological services to schools, mental health clinics, and universities. While in the school setting, Dr. Crosley served in many administrative roles to foster the development of upcoming professionals. Dr. Crosley is a CEO of Crosley Psychological Services, a private practice that provides mental health services to individuals and families. She also worked as an 
adjunct professor for Texas A&M University Commerce. Woo woo, that's my <laughs> She earned her doctorate degree from Texas A&M University and bachelor's degree in Lola University in New Orleans. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited. Gotta get this thing. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so, as of July the 21st, 2020, 6.6 .6 reported a COVID-19 case and less than 0.1 of COVID-19 related deaths are among children and adolescents less than 18 years of age in the United States. Poll question number one, are you anxious on sending your children, your child back to school? Also, if you're anxious going back to school yourself as an adult. Okay, so let's talk this brief conversation. So we talked about the 66% um, of parents are anxious about sending their kids to classrooms again in the fall due to COVID-19. Um, pandemic. So, um, Dr. Crosley, I know that we discussed last night um, mm -hmm. that parents are very anxious about this. They're very worried yeah. about, you know, what's going on. Can, can you kind of um, kind of talk a little bit about that? Parents are anxious for a lot of reasons. Um, parents are anxious um, for the little kids, um, sending them back to school because the little kids don't tend to keep the mask on their faces. So that's one reason why parents are anxious. Parents are also anxious because um, for the older kids, they're um, really longing for that, for that social interaction. So parents are concerned that their teenagers and older kids are going to start interacting and then they're going to spread the virus and then um, their kids are going to get sick. The same is um, for college students as well. Um, parents are concerned. Um, in terms of what college students, parents are can be concerned with the financial piece that comes with it as well. Absolutely. And, you know, I can see that just, you know, what, eight years old, and it's like, why can't I share my mask with my friend? Mm -hmm. Yes. I was about to say for the anxiety, just talking about it. A lot of times we're anxious because we're holding in our feelings and we're not talking about it. If we have an ongoing conversation with our kids and with the other adults in our lives, it can help to alleviate a lot of that anxiety. And then um, my biggest thing with kids is practice what you preach. So if you want the kids to social distance, as parents, we need to be practicing social distancing. We need to be practicing wearing our masks. We need to be practicing um, hand hygiene, washing our hands. So um, that can help alleviate a lot of the anxiety um, of the kids coming back with the um, virus. And I think you also have to look at healthy versus unhealthy anxiety. Um, you'd almost have to not be human not to have some degree of anxiety right now. Um, there's a virus out there. You could get it. It could kill you. There, there, there's a certain degree of reality that goes with that. And so I think having enough anxiety to say, I need to wear my mask. I need to physically be distant from people. I need to think about, you know, keeping my hands clean and away from my face and all those kinds of things. That's a, that's a good anxiety. Um, where it becomes problematic is when it gets to the point where I can't go out the house, I'm too nervous of people to do anything, I'm finding myself not sleeping, not being able to focus on things. Um, at that point, it becomes a little bit, little bit more problematic. And that's when I think you really have to, have to think about you know, engaging more with family, friends, you know, people close to you. And if it's overwhelming, then you know, really looking at what kind of help do I need to get me through this? Really never thought about good anxiety versus bad anxiety. Because when you hear anxiety, it's nothing but, ne you know, the stigma behind it's all negative, <laughs> you yeah. know? And so 
um, being able to say, hey, there's good anxiety, which is good to know, unhealthy anxiety, I think that it helps, it would kind of balance everybody out. So that's, um, I'm glad you um, pointed that out. So I really want to get, get back to talk about the um, going back to school um, for college spending starting later this year. So about the financial impact of parents. In the area, in, in Texas, most of our college students are already back on, in, at dorms, in dorms. Most of the college, yes. So, so there's a lot of college students who have reported back to dorms already. And so um, with that, there's also have been um, reports in the news that they've had an increased number of cases on campuses. Right, and I did see that Notre Dame, they did, um, they closed the school back now. Yes, yes, they sure did. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so one of the biggest things is, is, is that um, parents are having a concern. I hear a lot of parents of our college students saying that they're not going to send their um, kids back um, to school. And one, are the, are the universities going to um, alleviate some of the costs if the kids are not actually in face-to-face? -face? And a lot, a lot of the universities are not. The tuition is still the same. And so I really want to know the pros and cons of um, going back to school. Some pros of doing virtual learning for parents is that they get to spend more time with their kids if they if they really want to. So they get to spend a little bit more time with the little ones, and you get to be more engaged with their um, with their learning. But the reality is 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 that most parents are working parents, and so the the con of that is is juggling your work life with parenting and now becoming an educator of your kid. So going back to school, actually being in the classroom. And so again, with that, the, um, the con could be um, sending your kids back to school is that anxiety and that worry of, is my kid going to come back and have that virus? Yeah. That's one of the cons of it. Um, sending them back um, to school is just dependent on a pro, could be dependent on how the student learns. I have a lot of students who I see who they can't wait to go back to school face-to-face -face because the virtual learning does not fit their needs. First, first thing, we have to keep kids safe. But the other piece of this is the fact that the vast majority of kids, especially if they're elementary school, can't really process things virtually. Um, as Dr. Crossley was saying, I mean, you're asking a first grader to look at a computer and get a concept and explain it to who. Um, and so depending on how good the parent is as a teacher, you may not have anybody to present that idea to. So if you're a first, second, third, fourth, fifth grader, virtual learning is going to be a real problem. And I think that as we move into the future, we're going to, we're going to see the repercussions of having a group of kids who weren't able to go to school for a long chunk of time. And I think that part of this is, it, it really shows you the differential between the rich and the poor. And the pandemic and education has really shown you that. I was talking to a friend recently and she was talking about the school that she goes to. It happens to be a private school, but a well, very well-funded private school. So they set the classroom up. The chairs are all 10 feet apart. There's a teacher and a teacher's aide. So each teacher has two classes. 
her teacher's aide has to be a bachelor's level person but may not be a teacher. The teacher teaches the both, both classes on the screen in the classroom and then they flip-flop um, with the teacher's aide going to one class, the teacher going to the other. That's what getting a kid back to school in the pandemic in a healthy way looks like. Yeah. Not every school can do that. My thing is we got to figure out as a community, what are we going to do? Yeah. I'm going to go into poll question two. Mm-hmm. We're talking about resources. Do you have resources for helping your children adjust that? So the question for those that are in the audience. And so let's say if, um, if your child, you're in college, um, you know someone that's um, in college or you know someone that's in elementary, do you have a way that you can help them find different type of resources or help, help them to adjust going back to school to resources? Today, um, I mean, this question, the discussion is the effect on student and mental health and adjusting online. So are you seeing um, how students, or Dr. Um, T, um, Dr. Crosley, how students, is it making a change in how they are adjusting online? Like not going back to school, not being in the classroom. Can you really see the effect? Yes. It's having it's having a um, effect on a lot of the the kids because remember school provides a routine for our kids. It provides structure and routine. The virtual learning um, a lot of times parents don't have like a setup a setup routine um, and have a setting where the kids can go and sit and adjust to that routine. So they're kind of when you see them vir- doing virtual learning. What I tend to observe is the kids are on the couch and they're listening to the, the lesson and they may be covered up in their clothes, I mean, in their blankets and they're not really paying attention. They're struggling with kind of navigating with the um, software and the equipment and it's causing a lot of anxiety for the kids um, in terms of navigating those things. And then when we see that anxiety in the kids, a lot of times we see, we're also seeing kids who are feeling helpless and feeling as if I can't do this. And I, but I can only reach out to my teacher between these office hours that they have. So it's starting to have an impact on the school age kids that I've seen. I see it more at, um, at our junior high, our middle school um, level. And I see it a lot more um, in terms of our high school students. They just give up. They just say, I'm just not going to do this. And they just don't show up. I'm seeing at the college level, at the undergrad level, I'm seeing a lot of... Um, adults who are struggling because they need that that face-to-face they need that lecture face-to-face and they're struggling with maintaining their attention for the virtual that's what i'm seeing a lot of uh, for college students okay and so how can adults better prepare if possible dealing with um with you know adults and um adolescents can better prepare from having this struggle of being you know, the struggle of being online, the remote, remote. Well, those adults um, and those kids who have um, disabilities, they can still access accommodations. So for example, um, when you're in pre-K through 12th grade, we have what is called Section 504, 
where they can re uh, receive accommodations and they would have to reach out to their school. We also have um, students with disabilities who are also in special education. And what we're doing with the virtual learning, you're still supposed to provide those accommodations to those students. So for those students who are having trouble concentrating, they can get extra time on assignments to kind of alleviate that feeling of, I can't do this, I can't get my work done on time. And for those college students, reaching out to their Office of Student Disabilities to make sure those accommodations are also in place for their virtual learning can help them as well. Now I wanna go into the whole, um, adapting to a whole routine. And so I'm gonna do a quick survey. It's gonna be 60 seconds. Please participate if you can. Also, I wanna talk about how to reinsure the kids when they get into the classrooms because that also, those that are homeschooled and those that are going to school, um, to, that are going back to school, how to, you know, how to help your kids get through this. What families can do for personal routines, um, one, when kids go back to school face-to-face, -face, you already have your setup routines. The kids are going to bed at a decent time, they're getting up, they're out the door, they're having breakfast, and they're starting their day. That's an easy routine for if it's face-to-face. But for those parents who are doing the virtual learning, it's kind of hard to get those kids up for if they're doing um, the synchronous learning where they have to log in at a certain time to, to um, be face-to-face -face with their um, teachers. So one of the suggestions that I have for parents is to do a routine as if you were going to school. So still set that early bedtime, still have them get up, still have them um, put on clothing and have a designated area that is conducive to learning. I usually tell parents to put like little notes to encourage the child um, to um, have like little things around in the area to kind of promote um, the child learning. And um, that can kind of help with the routine that we see. The reality of COVID is we talked earlier about the exposing, exposing the haves and the have nots related to a virtual education. But there's also an exposure of the have and have nots in terms of the ability to provide structure for your kid at home. The number one problem I'm dealing with right now is as the economy has started to open back up, more and more employers are offering, are less willing to offer virtual work. Um, so you had at the beginning of this, a lot of parents who were working from home, it was very easy to care for kids. We're now in a situation where there are more parents who the employers are saying, we need you in the office. And if you can't come to the office, then we are probably going to have to replace you. So now parents are being stuck in this spot between, do I provide structure for my kid at home or do I go to work? And so, a lot of our parents, despite their best efforts and what they want to do, aren't able to do some of this. So the first piece of what I found is helping to get rid of some of the guilt that people are feeling because I'm not able to do everything. Um, the guilt of I'm having to figure out how to put food on the table while at the same time figuring out how to help my kid with structure. So what are your thoughts? Um, Dr. Crosley and um, Dr. Rogers about the administrative routines, the processing policies that, you know, to keep people safe. Because, so let's say that, okay, you have those that stay at home. So though they really don't have those, those policies mm -hmm. um, as those that are in the school. What, 
what is what are those great policies to help children and adults understand about when re-entering into um, back into school? So um, I actually um, I'm working in the school system. So I've been back at work since August the sixth. And um, I see a lot of the administrative and the engineering routines. So for example, what I see around um, the campuses um, in terms of engineering routines, you may see a lot more of hand sanitizing stations. You may see a lot more of signs um, reminding people to wear the face, um, their face mask and to social distance. Um, you may see uh, arrows on the you may see arrows on the ground in terms of the engineering, um, having the walkway go in a, in a certain direction. Um, in terms of the administrative um, routines that I've actually observed is um, when students do return face-to-face, -face, a lot of cohorting, where they're keeping the same group of kids together with the same teacher. And so, and kids are going to school on alternating days. So um, what I'm finding throughout um, the districts, the surrounding districts, is that every district is operating differently. One of the administrative routines that, is, that has come out is that um, every employee has to track their, um, their, their temperature. Every employee has to sign in and track their temperature. Visitors are only allowed to a certain point in the building. They're limited, limiting that a whole lot. And so I've seen that a whole lot more in the schools and people are practicing social distancing. I mean, the, the, the halls are so scarce that the, the automatic lights are, are, are off, like they're dark. There are some districts that are really, they've really taken the forefront and they're moving quickly for parents. There are some districts that I see. And on the other hand, there are some districts that still haven't given a response to parents. So it just really depends on on the district, actually. Hey, Tia, Tia that, that, that was a question from, from Amy King um, in the chat box. Oh, okay. Um, are, kid, are kids able to go to recess? So it depends. So it depends on the school. So I know that some schools, especially elementary schools, they will not allow the kids to do a traditional recess. However, what they're, what they're thinking about doing and they're going to see how that works is, is allowing the kids to be outside, but social distancing outside. The, the other question there, too, I want to address, Nyad, is can children get depression from isolation with, with just the family during this whole isolation phase paired with virtual learning? And I don't know if you saw the news this past week. Um, there were actually two cases. Mm -hmm. um, both African-American kids that committed suicide mm -hmm. um, related to depression, no pre-morbid conditions mm -hmm. other than isolation from COVID. Yeah. Um, and I think that the isolation gets to a lot of folks. Um, I choose not to work from home. Um, I have the, the option of doing it. I could have if I wanted to. Um, but I don't. And the primary reason I don't is I need to actually come in contact with other human beings and have conversations and interact and those kind of things. If I stay in the house more than a day or so, I start going stir crazy. Yeah. Uh, and I'm a fairly healthy functioning adult who is able to kind of keep up with my feelings and know what's going on and can't do it. So I can only imagine a kid who may already be a little bit introverted 
or even an extroverted kid that no longer has the ability to um, engage with other people. We're definitely seeing a lot of that. Um, same here. I do work for um, a school, a school um, district. And so I have been home since March. So we didn't return after spring break. And so we had five months to be at home. So I was going out very minimally just to take care of um, different needs that I had. So if at the end of five months, I am dying to get back into a school building. Some of our kids, they have their favorite teacher that they have to say hi to every day. They have that one person that they connect with every day that lets them know, even if they're in a situation where um, home may not be the best place for them, they knew that they could go to school and they can see that one teacher that can tell them to hold on to the next day. And you take that away, that, that will really impact a lot of our, our kids. Creating a, a routine that allows you to socially engage with others I think becomes critical to helping kids survive. So for example, I've seen a number of families that have Zoom meetings once a week. Um, they'll get you know, 30 people on a Zoom call, kids and everybody, and folks are playing games and engaging and having conversations. I wanna talk about the change in behavior. I wanna do a quick, um, mm -hmm. quick poll. So I wanna, I wanna also discuss, which is very extremely important, mental health and social emotional well-being considerations. With the little kids, I usually tell parents to look for the, the little kids being extra clingy. They may be extra clingy to their parents, not wanting to have that leave their parents, um, have their parents out of their sight. Um, they complain more of stomach aches and different things like that. We may see some behavior changes. Um, I was just talking to um, a family the other day and the mom had told me um, she put spaghetti in front of her child and spaghetti is the child's favorite food and she just had a tantrum and said but I wanted tacos and she was just crying and just at everything but when I talked to the, the little one she was frustrated she was frustrated. She was hearing all the talks about her returning to school and all those different things, and she was getting scared. How do we get adults and children mentally, emotionally prepared to start the school? Because now we're dealing, you're looking at the signs of depression, okay? Mm -hmm. So eating, not eating, isolation. Um, so those that are dealing with the, these, um, the depression, I mean, with these different symptoms, will look different depending on the kids ages so I tend to see um, kids and um, kids and adults so for like my little babies my pre-k first second graders um, they interact a lot through play and through storytelling and through different experiences so getting them prepared may may look like having an open type of conversation to where you're you're telling a story where they can relate to the character that's returning to school um, where you're engaging in play with them and just asking them questions about how they're feeling and and during that time you can be preparing them for those things in terms of um, my um, junior high and high school and even my college um, kids it's just it's just being open and having that discussion with them so I want to know from both of you guys what do you think what's next um, I, I honestly think that um, a lot of a lot of districts are going to consider face-to-face -face eventually
I would just say to really prepare and talk to your kids. I, I do believe that throughout this whole entire year, they will probably give, um, more likely give parents an option of virtual learning, but we're going to see some kids in the schools. I think a lot of what will happen this year will depend on who wins the election in November. Oh, wow. Yeah. I um, there's one candidate that if they win, every kid will be in school shortly thereafter. Um, no ifs, ands, or buts. Um, there's another candidate, if they win, I think that things are a little more up in the air in terms of what will happen um, based, on the, based on the science. Um, so that's going to trickle down, not just from a national election, but to states and counties as well. If you and your child are needing assistance with mental health needs, please reach Dr. Crosley at 972-792-9850, or you can contact her through her website at www.crosleypsychologicalservices.com. Everybody, thank you for attending our virtual live podcast. Um, our next event will be September 30th. For more information, please call um, Bridget at importthehealthshow.org. Also, please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, at The Health Show. Um, also, I would really like to say thank you to our partners and to our sponsor who sponsored the podcast today, our partner, um, Good Work, and also the Dallas, um, Dallas Library. Thank you so much for your partnership. And then also um, Auckland Research and Dr. Angela Anderson with Dr. Angela Speaks for sponsoring The Health Show. Oh, I want to remind you, Thank you so much up <laughs> there. Next month is North Texas Gaming Day. And I want you guys to um, get on our Facebook, get on our Instagram, get on our Twitters, and it's time to donate. This is what we do. We are at 5013C. Um, I love, love, love um, helping and educating and connecting people to the community. And now this is the time that you guys can do what I'd love to do is give. So you can give. Um, you can, when North Texas Giving Day, with the, when the form comes up or when our, we get everything going with our social media, you'll see and you can donate a dollar, two dollar, ten thousand dollars, five thousand, whatever you would like to give, we take it all. Okay, and um, we do have a goal of 30,000, so please help us reach our goal. Also, if you like what you heard today, we are 5013C, and you can cash out um, money signed to help show and, and give. Um, no dollars too, um, too short, so one dollar, five dollar, ten dollar, thousand dollars, whatever you like to do. <laughs> or also, you can go on our website that's thehelpshow.org and you can donate there. Um, thank you guys so much um, for attending this live podcast. Hi, this is Nayetta, and you're listening to The Health Show. To The Health Show. And you're listening 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 to The Health Show. We'd like to take a moment and thank everyone in our listening audience for listening today. We'd also like to remind everyone we are a nonprofit organization operating entirely off the generous support of our donors. If you like to give to our organization, we appreciate you. You can send your donation via Cash App, Money Sign, The Help Show, or on our website at www.thehelpshow.org. There's no donation too small. Every dollar given will strengthen our efforts. If you'd like to donate $1,500 or more and become a VIP sponsor, 
then we have some additional packages listed on our website. And you can visit us at www.thehelpshow.org for more details. This month's podcast is sponsored by Dr. Angela Anderson, number one international best-selling author. Now what? Get over yourself and move. Sold on Amazon. This podcast is produced by Nyetta Reynolds and Ben Fenton. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Help Show. Remember to subscribe to the podcast. Please leave your comments. We want to know what you think. Thank you for listening and please stay tuned.